Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. You can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app for even more politics without the boring bits. Well, I've made it safely back for Bournemouth and all of the fun of Lib Dem conference. Coming up on today's podcast, we unpack Ed Davies' speech. What does it mean? Who are they going after? Who is he not going after? Is it going to land? Patrick McGuire helps me wade through it all so that you don't have to. Before that, though, it's time for these two. The Columnists with Ali Burt, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. And here they are, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. Hello, how are you? Morning. Yeah, nice morning. Nice right. Yeah, good, yeah. Distinct lack of chocolate today, but we'll gloss over that. What happened to the Toblerone? Well, we ate it. Yes. No, you ate it. You we ate didn't eat it, did no, we? No, we left it here last week. Didn't come my way. I should have brought you back a bit of stick of rock or something from Bournemouth. Oh, I've just been to Munich, so I should have brought you back something like a sausage, <laughs> I suppose. Is that a sausage in your No, lederhosen. Yeah. We could have had some lederhosen. We in could. fact, you should be wearing it now. Uh, I, you'll see them, me and the Have weekend. you been dressing up? Yeah, I've been dressing up again. Nice. Yeah, yeah lederhosen. When will we see that? Saturday and weekend times. This weekend? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I'm dressing up this afternoon, but I think I'm just putting a different suit on. Yeah, that's boring. It's a piece of the Times Yeah, but you did your magazine. crazy golf, didn't you? I did do crazy golf with Ed David wearing a tricorn hat. That was good. I think you should have had all that stuff <laughs> that they wear playing golf, don't they? Yeah, all the Pringle stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that's all I did, want, I did wonder about that. But you I did ju- look good. Because we were only in Bournemouth for a day. Mm. I, I travelled quite light, just took a rucksack. And yeah. like producer Andrew, didn't like Melton Marcos, about suitcases and bags. <laughs> didn't take your golf gear? No, I didn't take my golf your gear. Your clubs? And then I played really bad. I'm actually still quite cross about it, because I like to think I'm quite good at crazy <laughs> I, golf. I love crazy golf. And I had a nightmare on one hole. Oh, no. Just no. couldn't get it. There was three pipes and just oh, couldn't get yeah, it through one. Oh, yeah, it's a tricky one, yeah. You should be good if you're in the West Country. We have a lot of <laughs> yeah, crazy golf. That is true, yeah, but I, I, I genuinely love crazy golf. Yeah. yeah. One of my favourites was we you're went... You're letting us down, actually. Uh, a few years ago, it was my birthday, because it's always my birthday. We went to one of 
one of these like trendy indoor ones for the young people in Liverpool. Yeah, got loads in Hackney now. Yeah, crazy guys. And uh, yeah. there was me and the um, uh, lobby team for the Times, uh, Matthew Paris, Danny Finkelstein. Yeah. And when we got in there, it just got worse. And we're like, by the time, one of the roles was basically like a sex dungeon. That's right. <laughs> it was like, we've got like a member of the House of Lords and actual Matthew say. Paris here, who yeah. obviously loved it. Yeah. So anyway, there we are. Well, that's enough of that. I bet the, uh, Baron, the Baron probably quite liked it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll explain exactly what some of the obstacles were <laughs> off air. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, let's talk about, because we haven't really talked about this, this is the story that emerged over the weekend uh, from the Sunday Times, actually, about inheritance tax and how they're looking at, uh, again, looking at scrapping it. Um, it seems to come around perennially, or probably more like quarterly, that number 10 are looking at wanting to scrap it. <laughs> when asked about whether or not Labour supports a wealth tax, this is what Annalise Dodds, uh, Labour's Annalise Dodds, said on Times Radio yesterday. Well, there are a number of different forms of taxation of wealth which are already in place within the U- UK. Now, we do think where there are loopholes, for example, in uh, an area of private equity, there's a loophole there that we would tighten up on so that we had that funding that we could then plough into mental health support. We think it's quite right we have a tax system that's fair, that supports our economy, and, of course, one that supports family finances. That's the red line for us. So if... First of all, where do you where, where do you stand on this? Do should they scrap inheritance tax, Robert? Sorry, I was just reading a thing about Robert. And I just I just saw this thing on Twitter. It said, Matt, why does Robert hate haikus and Elton John so much? Mike messages <laughs> yeah. in every right. week. Sorry, I just distracted me. Seizing on something that you've said. I also thought you were going to ask Alice because she was the one who wrote the column about it. Yeah, no, yeah no, but, but it's interchangeable they, now, really. Aren't should they? they scrap inheritance tax? No, yeah. they shouldn't. It's only uh, it's bad. Uh, it raises seven billion quid. I learned from Alice's column. Yeah. Uh, only four percent of people pay it. And kind of by definition, you're sort of rich. You can afford it. Uh, and it sends precisely the wrong signal about what sort of country and what sort of government they, they uh, kind of want to be and what sort yeah. of country we want to live in. So, no, they shouldn't scrap it. It is a classic thing, Alice, where you might not invent it now, <laughs> but given that it is there and it does raise £7 billion a year, essentially for the richest people in the country, yeah. politically now, there's a, you know, there's a, you know, the charge, the labour charge of a millionaire's tax cut is going to be quite strong, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's weird because why they're doing it is in 2007 when George Osborne tried to do it when Labour was in power, it had a fantastic effect on the polls and the Tories did much better. But that was 2007 when the sun was shining, when we had more money, when there were more tax cuts available. Now, when actually there aren't going to be any tax cuts, it's kind of strange to go for the richest 3.6% and say to them, actually, you're not going to have to pay anything when you die. And and actually, 7.1 billion, they keep saying, isn't very much, but it is quite a lot. It's 1p on income tax. It's, there are quite a lot of other things you could do if you wanted to. Well, you could do, mm. you could take a penny off income tax. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the <laughs> yeah, obvious yeah, thing yeah, to yeah. do. And that's, that's why it's so strange for them. And it, it does seem ridiculous to go to the very richest people. And also because Rishi Sunak, it is one of his real Achilles heels that he mm. is so rich. Yeah. And so, you know, very, very rich, like, yeah. and we're not going to mention any names, but people who are non-doms aren't going to be paying very much inheritance tax, but it, it's the top 3.6%, not the top sort of 0.001%. Yeah. You'd probably get around it with accountants. I mean, uh, there is a kind of, as a parent, there is a kind of atavistic desire to pass on your uh, the fruits of your labour to your children. But government is there to kind of limit atavistic desires, isn't it? For the good of everybody. And what's weird and, is that and, so and, many people think they're going to pay it, don't they? So 38% yeah. of people actually think they're going to pay it. They're going to have yeah. to pay this, which is weird because it's so few people actually do end up paying it. Yeah. I mean, my, when I die, my children will have to pay it, but that's an entirely unearned income on, on a house. So it's not really... 
and it is sort of complicated because you get the the allowance is what three fifty. Yeah. But you can pass it on, but then it goes up to five hundred thousand if it includes a house. Yeah, and then and a uh, lot of rich uh, people you, already you can, avoid a spouse it. Spouse can pass it on. Yes, a lot of rich on. people already avoid it because they've got a good accountant yeah. and they put it into a trust. Yeah. and it's if it's seven years or you before can you hand die it, or whatever. I mean, you get you can yeah. hand it on to your children while you're still alive, as long as you don't die within seven years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, so you can have an entire. You end up with an entire pot worth a million pounds before you start yeah. paying it. So you can pass yeah. on a million pounds without yeah. paying it. But what struck me was there was a um, there was a quote in the Sunday Times from a government insider source said this is the most hated tax in Britain according to the polls. I'm not actually sure that's right because no. when we've polled which ones would you like to cut, people say there's one VAT poll that says or, that. Yeah. And actually, I think the problem is that people. It's how you ask the question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah of but if, if they think everyone's going to have to pay inheritance, it tax, says they're it's not going to want it. It's the most hated tax at every income. A lot of people don't know that they won't pay it. Yeah. People also feel it's just wrong to tax people on income that's already been taxed in a time when they were, and at a time when they are grieving. Mm. But to say out loud, a lot of people don't know that they won't mm. pay. So it's an entirely cynical, yes, thing. It's not actually saying we're going yeah. to help anyone. People hate it for, people hate for it, entirely so spurious reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we're going to and we're going to capitalise on that. Yeah. Also, the double taxation is such a weird idea because actually, if you look at VAT, VAT is double taxation yeah. mm. on most people because if you pay income tax and then you're paying VAT. Yeah. That's exactly well, the no, same. The, so it, it seems bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, VAT or air passenger mm. duty or you know yeah. alcohol duty. Yeah, you are taxed more than once on your income. Yes, raise reg- yeah regularly. That's what yeah. happens. Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, I still. I just think it's weird. I mean, sorry, Matt. No, I was going to say I, mm-hmm. I just don't know if they'll. I th- it feels to me like people keep talking because the Times had a similar story in the summer. There's clearly people in the government, yeah. in and around the government, and in the Tory party who'd like to do this. Well, there are 50 I, MPs who've said they'd like to do yeah. it, and the Telegraph's campaigning for it. So there's quite a lot of people. See. They can see. They think it's like an asp- one of those aspirational yeah, things yeah. that people might not include many people, but uh, as with Thatcher, which I, which I think probably what they're going back to, they're looking at something which people can aspire to, like yeah, like yeah. the pub- like public schools. Yeah, I mean, only seven percent of people go to public school, but people don't. They would argue do not want to see them uh, end the charitable status because they yeah, might yeah. aspire to go and sending yeah, their yeah. kids there one day. And I guess this sounds a, a bit coming from the same, same. sort of yeah, stable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just think it. I mean, that is weird because it's a free hit for Labour. Yeah, it's an absolute yeah. free hit. And we are so, like you were saying, Alice, we're so far away from both the economic. Although the economy wasn't in great shape in 2000, 2008. but um, uh, the big difference was it was much lower then. Far more people were caught by it. Yeah. So you know the the, the politics yeah. worked better. Yeah, and George Osborne, I mean, it was a clever thing for him to do when he did it because, actually, Gordon Brown was completely freaked when the polls just moved a bit. But we don't even know if it was the polls that moved because of inheritance tax. No one's ever known that. And now most people are exempt from Mm. it anyway. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah, we pass on billions. That's what's extraordinary is how many billions we do pass on already. Because, you know, everyone can pass on up to a million. And a lot of it is going, a lot of it's going in housing. Yeah. I just yeah. think I just think it's a very weird thing to spend seven billion pounds on yeah. something that you admit doesn't exist. And as you point out, people yeah. are not going to be. Caught. And as you point out in your column, Alice, that it's often it's a poison chalice for a rich. I mean, we all know about rich kids who who uh, go wrong. I mean, because they. Yeah. Well, it's the fact that people like Bill Gates are yeah. just not going to do it, yeah. are they? Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. he's only passing on 1%, which is actually yeah. quite a lot. Yes, but, but kids who come into some trust fund when they're 25, it doesn't, it doesn't usually end well, does it? It's a good, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. And then you're right, the really, really super rich are going to dodge it anyway. Yeah. But apart from that, excellent. Well done. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, great idea. I, so this story, I don't, we haven't got time to do the whole thing. The train story, the worst... Yeah, that's a pretty bad one, yeah. ...train journey ever. So it was this train where everyone got... They were, on, they were supposed to be going to the train to Scotland. 
uh, and they were all kicked off at Preston, and we were going to told another train was coming, and then that was cancelled. And then they were basically told there's no way of getting home, so you're going to have to get in taxis. But there were 50 kids, 12-year-olds, on a school yeah. trip. So the five teachers at Preston Station had to sort of source their own bus uh, to try and, and feed them, didn't they? Yeah, yeah got a load of chips. Um, yeah, the chips sounded good, actually. At least the chippy was open. Mm. And actually then in a, uh, I don't know, a time when we're talking about HS2 and how we can't build anything. I mean, mm. people like, why do, we need, why do we need to build a new, new track? I mean, the, the, it's, the, it's the best example of how the trains are only yesterday trying to get back from Bournemouth. Yeah. I know other people talk about their trains as really boring. It's like talking about their dreams. It's not really boring, actually. Readers love it. We tried to listeners. get out of Bournemouth <laughs> as quickly as possible. Got to, yeah. in good time, got to the station, got on a sandwich from Asda. Lovely. Oh, an hour we were stood waiting. Yeah. We'd eaten all of our packed lunch oh. on the station platform and then it finally turned out when it was packed. Yeah. We left Brighton, uh, Bournemouth, at one o'clock. Yeah. I got home about half four, five. It is extraordinary that you can buy a really quite expensive ticket and not necessarily even get a seat. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, it's an extraordinary way to... Uh, Mine was a cow on the line. Way. We hit a cow yeah. a few weeks ago and that, that took four hours to clear the cow. A friend of mine had, had a good one the other day. He, was, he got kicked off the train at Crewe but they said it was okay because uh, if they went onto the concourse, there'd be a road train to take them to the next... A road, a road train? To take, take them to wherever, Stafford or, or Macclesfield or Stockport, and somewhere up the line. And everyone, like, rushing to thinking that this is this kind of fantastic development in mass transit, and a road train is actually a, what most of us call a bus. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, weird, right? The a road language, train? A road train. The language of railways, I think, betrays their... their uh, Impotence, really, because they, they're always trying to. They're always trying to find a way of saying something in a fancy way to describe disaster and the fact they can't get it from A to B. So yeah, this this story. So the teacher uh, from the um, modern studies at Greenfalls High School, uh, they ended up tweeting a Vanty West Coast at quarter past ten at night, saying we've been stuck at Preston Station since six thirty with fifty twelve year olds. It's now. Uh, just gone at 10 o'clock. We've just yeah. been informed there was no way of getting us home to Glasgow because we can't send kids alone in taxis. Yeah. A staff member said we were effectively stuck here. And it was all, I think it was all brought to head as well by this guy called James, who sort of chronicled his journey. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here um, yeah, well done, James. Where uh, he ended up sort of, well, yeah, he just revealed that because they then got in the taxi and the guy didn't really know how to drive. Well, the guy had yeah. never left Preston, had he? So he didn't know how to get to Edinburgh. <laughs> And then there were there were several what he called incidents, yeah. where they sort of swerved across lanes. Yeah. He bought himself some <laughs> some Red Bulls. The problem now is that you go you get on a train with the expectation that it will go wrong. I mean, I do. I travel yeah. by train a lot for work, and I'd always travel by train out of preference rather than car or or, or flying. Like if I were to go to Scotland, I'd always much rather get the train. Yeah. But you know that the advertised four hour trip to Glasgow is actually going to be more like six. And that is terrible for your morale, and it's terrible for your kind of, for the kind of country's morale. This idea that we, it's basically going to go wrong, and yeah. we'll be lucky if it doesn't. And that's sort of I think most of us travel in that in that kind of expectation. I think you do that now. with flights as well. I mean, I, I had yeah. to get a passport yeah. in Durham, and it took me twelve hours to get to Durham by train the night before. And if I hadn't gone the night before, I'd have missed the appointment that took me, you know, quite yeah. a long time. I know time. actually, I've the opposite because because the, the Tory Party conference has been affected by train strikes. They've got strikes on. Uh, Saturday and the Wednesday. Yeah, and they got an overtime ban on Friday. Uh, so, so I'm going to yeah. drive. Yeah. And actually, I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah. Because I won't have to come into London and then, like you said, get caught up and then... Yeah, yeah. And I also won't have to rush... But travelling by train should be a pleasure because yeah, somebody else is doing the work. I don't know this is a yeah. cliche, but travelling through Europe on holiday or by train was lovely. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you could sit down and have a proper meal 
on a, a table with tablecloths and cutlery. Fantastic, I know. But it's also greener. I mean, that's why we're not doing it. It's extraordinary that you know, we should be actually promoting the railways instead I mean, these of convincing reading, everyone not to yeah. come on it again. I've been reading about the, the, the Rugby World Cup and people's going from Paris to Marseille to watch a match in three hours or, and then go back up to Lille and then down to Lyon. And it's just think that's amazing to have a rail network like that. Yeah. You can zip around and watch uh, in a big you know, yeah. country twice as big as this one. Yeah. Well, it's uh, lucky we were going to have HS2, obviously. Yeah. yeah. For, for yeah. all those people in Birmingham time. who want to get into Acton, they are in Clover. Old Oak Common. Old Oak Common. Yeah. Um, some of the people have got in touch saying, can you please correct the statement that everyone could pass on a million pounds? I'm not sure we did, because I, I was no. trying to do it in the most brief way possible. That you get uh, 350,000, I think that's right, or 375,000. Something like that. And then... Uh, married couples can pass on. Married couples can pass yeah. on. With a house. And if it includes a house, it's half... So you're right. The, the, the maximum, if you like, that you can pass on is if you have got a house and you've passed it on to your spouse and they then pass it on yeah. uh, to children later. So I'm aware of that. But it's still the point is that three po- only 3.76% of people pay, pay it, it at all. So yeah. um, there we are. Now, Robert, you've been writing about fishing because uh, yeah. there was a survey out uh, which showed that fish fishing was good for, for men's mental health. Yeah, blokes who fish were 17%, I think, less likely to suffer from depression. Uh, and I said, I'm, I'm not, I've been fishing perhaps six, seven times, which I described, and each time there was some form of a problem or, di- or, or or disaster, and it wasn't good for my mental health. But then again, maybe it was, because it sort of taught me that, uh, you know, there are some things are not for you. you fishing is one of them. Are you a fisher, fisher person? Yeah, I am. So I think are it's you? quite good for your mental health. Yeah, I do it quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Just about everywhere I go. Yeah, because my younger son's obsessed. So we have any holiday we go on, we find a river or a sea, and then <laughs> they just fish. It's great. It's actually great when you've got teenage boys because they don't really want to talk anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, sitting, in, sitting in awkward silence for hours. <laughs> yeah, <fine. laughs> yeah. Well, I you don't need that. results. I think the problem is you're too competitive, actually, Roman, because you don't Maybe. have to catch anything. The whole point is you're just meant to be on the yeah. river. You see, that I did make the point in the column that the blokes you see fishing never look very happy, do they? <laughs> They never it's look like, like their mental health is sort of but my, particularly great. My grand always says you never see a you never see a happy jogger. But it, no, but it's not the act of the jogging necessarily. No. you know it might be better for you later on. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But they're also I mean, see them on the pier when we go down to Kent, seeing the pier yeah. and Deal, and then you know you see them by the canal when I'm going home, Regent's Canal here. Yeah, and God knows what's in the Regent's Canal, but there's plenty of fishermen shopping there. Trolleys, yeah. yeah, shopping trolleys, and they never look very happy. But I guess maybe yeah, maybe yeah. they're just. Maybe you're right, the ones Alice. that have got out of the house today, that's what I think. Yeah, I, a great well, exactly. Imagine, imagine they might be even more unhappy if they weren't fishermen. Well, let's, yeah, speak, just, let's speak mm. to a, a fisherman. Matt Hayes is a lifelong fisherman and joins us now. Hi, Matt. Hello. Are you a happy fisherman? <laughs> well, I'm a very happy fisherman because um, back in the uh, 90s, I gave up a, a regular office job and a budding career to to live a life as a fisherman, as a journalist and a broadcaster, as it turned out. So fishing has been the heartbeat of my life since I was a little boy. And uh, it still makes me an extremely happy man right now. So this this rings true. So this survey was three uh, British universities found male anglers are more likely to avoid anxiety and depression. Mm. Men uh, who spoke about their hobbies... Uh, those that said they fished regularly were 17% less likely to experience depression and anxiety. The yep. more they fished, the more they fished, the greater the impact. What is it? The, 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 I can't, apart from uh, 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 trying to catch mackerel in Lyme Regis off a boat, I don't think I've ever really been fishing, but I love watching the uh, Bob Mortimer, Paul Whitehouse thing. 
I find that very therapeutic. Am I? Do I need to go outside? <laughs> do you need to go outside to go fishing, or yeah. do you need to go outside for sale? Yeah. <laughs> so, fishing, what, why? Why do you think? Why do you think it's it, it, it's good for your mental health? Um, fishing. Fishing can be a lot of things. It's it, it's the greatest sport in the world because first of all, you have it for life. Um, I've been fishing since I was three, and I'm over sixty now. That's a long time to be doing anything. Um, and it must be making me very happy, otherwise I wouldn't still be doing it. Now, you know, like everything else, you can invent the rules for your own fishing. You can go for as long as you like. You can pop down the Regent's Canal for an hour, you know, after work if you want. Or you can go and spend a month um, in the Arctic Circle fishing for Arctic char and never see another person. So you decide the rules of engagement, how long you spend at it, how seriously you take it, how much energy you input. But what is sure about fishing is that there is almost a meditational quality to it mm. when you're actually there in the moment. And I will share something with you here, Max, oh. which I've never shared before, and I've Thanks. been in this for yeah. quite a long time. I've been on telly and everything else. But... Um, throughout my life, I've, I've been plagued by certain mental issues. Um, there's an ism in me, and it's manifested itself in lots of ways throughout my life. And during my um, mid-20s to 30s, I was actually fighting a battle with alcoholism. And fishing uh, very much helped me to wow. cope with everything that was going on in my life at that time now don't get me wrong i don't go out fishing to meditate i go out fishing to have a great time and most of the time i'm turning around on the bank trying to find fish and just totally absorbed in it that in itself is therapy but there are also times when you go and fish you have a rod in your hand you stare at the water and maybe that's those guys down the regent's canal mm. and you're not consciously thinking about stuff but you're healing you really are really interesting really interesting and actually maybe the the you're right, without even thinking that that's what you're doing. If you if you said to those exact men, middle-aged men, we think you should go to therapy or think yeah. you should take up meditation, they'd probably push you in Well, I guess now, so. But they and don't realise they're doing it. No, and the NHS is coming round to this opinion, isn't it, yeah, with yeah. the so-called green uh, prescribing. prescribing yeah, and yeah. blue prescribing, which is, which is the one that involves water, which is yeah. what this one is. And yeah, of course, I mean, it could be a walk in the woods, couldn't it? It could be a walk, for some people, it'd be a hiking up a mountain. But I take the... I take, uh, I take the point. Yeah, yeah. Very well, yeah, very well made. And actually, maybe the point is, because Alice was saying you're competitive. Matt, the point is it's not necessarily about catching any fish. Not always. I mean, listen, I've made a career out of fishing. So yeah. if I hadn't caught fish most times... <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. We wouldn't have wouldn't got... Go. If you if you came on and said you were a lifelong fisherman who'd never caught any fish, <laughs> we might you might it, not get a booker. It's a tough gig, mate. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah. even I would struggle... I think my problem is maybe I don't want to catch any fish because I'm a bit squeamish. Yeah, because do you eat them? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah do, what, do you eat them or do you put them back, Matt? Um, well, a, a mixture of both. I mean, I'm yeah. a catch and release man. I run a very successful Atlantic salmon fishing lodge now. Oh, okay. For, for my sins in, in Norway. So I'm speaking to you now from Norway, near Trondheim, in fact. Oh, wow. Lovely. So catch and release is very important to our yeah, fishery yeah, yeah. because of all the threats to wild salmon. And our job as fishermen is to leave zero footprints or as close to yeah, zero yeah. footprints as possible. So for me, if a fish can be dealt with respectfully, handled in the water, yeah. unhooked very quickly, and released in pristine condition, 
that's 100% a bonus for me. There are times when I like to take a fish, maybe a small wild yeah. trout or a small bass from the sea or something to feed the family. But I don't want to stuff my freezer with them. <laughs> <laughs> that's Alibert there, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. And you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's Ed Davey Unpacked. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. And David! Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yeah! Yeah, no PMQs today, despite being on Wednesday, because it's party conference season. We kicked off uh, with the Lib Dems in Bournemouth. Ed Davey made his big speech yesterday. So, Times Radio senior political correspondent Patrick McGuire is here to unpack it. It was the best conference I've ever been to, Matt. Was it? No. What is the best conference you've ever been to? Uh, for sheer impact and surrealism, it was the Tories in 2017 and being in the room for Theresa May's set. Oh, yeah. Collapsing. Simon Brock the in coughing. the comedian giving a P45, the coughing. Um, but then last year's Tory conference was pretty good. The, the sort of general disintegration. Just a general of sense of trust. fin de siècle feel, yeah. And her going on the telly on the Sunday and saying, definitely cutting 45p, and then they dropped that overnight. Yeah, it was exciting. Something happening all the We've time. We've been spoiled with conferences in the past. But this was good. Decade. We had a nice bit, nice bit of sunshine down in Bournemouth. Uh, there was enough going on, enough people to speak to. Uh, so we got a genuine sense, which we'll get into, genuine sense, despite it being the Liberal Democrats, despite it being the Liberal Democrats led by Ed Davey running a very, what you might think is an uncontroversial electoral yeah. strategy, a lot of genuine tension away from the main stage, which we'll get into. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, a sense of strategy and how they insert themselves into the, the national story and the, and the election. Let's kick off, though, with uh, what he walked on to. If you change your mind take a chance, on the first in line, honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. The idea of Ed Davies saying, honey, I'm still free, take a chance on me, feels like something that should be reported <laughs> to, to every possible authority. <laughs> Um, of course, uh, there's a good precedent for, for party leaders coming on to ABBA. Yeah, of course, Theresa May in 20, uh, 2018. 2018. Doing her uh, very jerky, Peter Crouch-style throwing shapes to uh, to Dancing Queen. Uh, I mean, res- resigned seven months later. <laughs> so people weren't willing to take a chance on Theresa May. Um, the interesting thing about this, you know, and we'll hear much more of this going forward, right, uh, on, on this very item, is this is... How Ed Davey gets attention. It's that sort of slightly knowing, tongue-in-cheek, you're not going to pay attention to me otherwise because I'm the leader of a party with 14 MPs, 15 MPs rather. So you have to do 
slightly zany things to get attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When people say, look, Ed Davey is a departure from the Liberal leaders who've done best, i.e. Jeremy Thorpe, Paddy Ashdown, Charles Kennedy, uh, Nick Clegg, because they're all charismatic figures with national profile. This is Ed Davey's answer to that question, which is I'm going to essentially mug and gurn for the camera, which he does very well. Which he does do very well. And uh, we should... And actually then he started out with a sort of long convoluted joke, at the heart of which, it was quite clear, all he wanted to do all week was bash away at the toys. Just keep attacking the toys, the toys, the toys, the toys. Uh, so let's take a listen to... I think this is the early part of the speech when he um, apologised to the clowning community. Let's take a listen. I'm afraid I have to start this afternoon with an apology. You might remember, after our incredible victory in Somerton and Froome in July, when the amazing Sarah Dyke overturned a Conservative majority of 19,000, I said, it's time to get these clowns out of number 10. We even wrote it on the side of a big blue cannon, do you remember? Well, a party member got in touch afterwards to say he is an actual clown. <laughs> and he took great offence at being compared to the Conservative government. And on reflection, I have to admit, he's got a point. Clowns didn't crash our economy and send interest rates soaring. Clowns didn't let water companies make billions in profits while dumping filthy sewage into our rivers and onto our beaches. Clowns didn't plunge our NHS into crisis, pushing waiting lists to record highs. Clowns didn't waste billions of pounds of our money on dodgy PPE contracts. Clowns didn't prop up a lying, law-breaking Prime Minister and then allow him to put his cronies in the House of Lords. Clowns didn't do it. The Conservatives did. So? Let me take this opportunity to apologise unreservedly to that party member and to the whole clowning community. I'm sorry I used the wrong C word. <laughs> oh, that's a cool edit where it's just him <laughs> laughing at his own... Uh... In his own joke. That basically sums it all up that that is the, the Lib Dems' entire election strategy, just attacking the Tories. Yes, to bash the Conservatives for things Conservative voters usually vote Conservative for, i.e., you know, conserving the natural environment, conserving uh, their local areas, uh, unique housing character, etc., etc., right? It's very significant that he has just come straight out there and spoken about the Conservatives alone. As you know well, Matt, uh, Paddy Ashdown's strategy was one of... Uh, well, no, the Liberals long had a strategy of equidistance between mm. the two main parties. Um, Paddy Ashdown abandoned that. Nick Clegg arguably went back there, uh, indeed went close to the Conservatives. Now you see Ed Davey moving back to that Liberal Democrat uh, electoral tradition where you are unambiguously a party of the left, or at least an anti-conservative yeah, yeah. party. Also, I should say, for listeners with long memories or who might have forgotten uh, Vince Cable's exotic spresum moment, oh, of course. which was a similarly suggestive line, yeah. uh, pre-briefed in Vince Cable's 2018 conference speech uh, was a line, similarly, you know, 
making uh, getting attention right he said brexiteers wanted the erotic spasm of a no deal exit but he mangled it in the telling and so said exotic spasm yeah which uh, you'll remember very well I and enjoyed but that. ed davy ed davy nailed that yeah yeah and uh, I, I, I suppose it's interesting so basically he's a dot he's the 97 paddy ashdown strategy yes or get the toys out all in with labor it did but he did you know for the sake of balance uh, although i think there's about the sum total of it he did take a swipe at labor let's take a listen because Labour's plan, if you can call it a plan, is nowhere near that ambitious. Now, to be fair, they've come a long way from when they voted for Boris Johnson's terrible deal. But Labour has a long way still to go, which means it's up to us to lead the way. A better economy, a better future with Europe. It's very cool the way all the applause has been cut off. This it just sounds like very... he's making a speech in a room on his own. <laughs> um, so, but just in terms of tone as well as uh, quantity, his comments on Labour are much less uh, vociferous because he's basically hitching his wagon himself to their wagon. Yeah, and I think actually, whereas the anti-Tory comments are aimed at the electorate, that's what Ed Davey wants on the six o'clock and ten o'clock news, and indeed the bulletins on Times Radio. That comment was aimed squarely at the Lib Dem activist base because when you and I were in Bournemouth, it didn't take very long. If you were speaking to an activist or a, a parliamentarian uh, away from the cameras, you'd say, how's it going? Well, they'd say, look, we put all our eggs uh, in this anti-Tory basket, but really, why aren't we saying more about Brexit? Why aren't we being more uh, unapologetic in pitching ourselves as a pro-European party who ultimately wants to rejoin the EU. It was notable that one of the first things Ed Davies said during his round of interviews at conference last week was there is no prospect of his rejoining the EU, which really yeah, yeah. riled his activists. So that one, I think, is as much about reassuring his activists that they haven't veered too far away from those principles as much as it is um, pitching to the electorate. Well, let's hear then what he had to say about you. So I spoke to Leila Moran uh, on the show uh, yesterday and she was talking about, you know, she she'd explicitly said at a fringe meeting, we're in favour of rejoining, which is very much not what Ed Davey wants to talk about. So this is, this is Ed Davey addressing the Europe question in his party conference speech. The Conservatives botched the deal with Europe and it's been a disaster for the UK. They sold out British farmers and fishers, they tied up British business in red tape, and they pushed up food prices in our supermarkets. So much unnecessary pain inflicted on so many by so few. And only the Liberal Democrats have consistently stood up against it. Stood up against it, but actually not committing to doing anything different. No, exactly. Being nicer and getting on slightly better with Europe is their sort of current policy. Yeah, it's in, it's very interesting. Let's not get too into the weeds of Ed Davies' Brexit policy, but they have set out a four-step plan, and you know when a political party starts talking about tests and pledges and steps, the likelihood is they won't meet all of them. Uh, but the, only the fourth step of that pledge, uh, that plan is rejoining the single market, not even rejoining the EU. So Ed Davey is putting lots and lots of distance between uh, a cause he believes set them back in uh, lots of seats at the last election. It's interesting. So John Basis has just been in touch saying, I think that Ed Davey and his stunts are a joke. So he's talking about his cannons and his doors and all that. The Lib Dems are offering nothing concrete to hang your hat on. Why don't they say, we'll try and go back into the EU? That would at least be different and make them worth voting for. 
Well, look, that is a debate that's happening within the Liberal Democrats. Because Ed Davey has hitched his wagon so unambiguously to the strategy that is we're running against the Tories in about 80 seats at the absolute maximum, seats where we're best placed to fight the Tories, you naturally sacrifice a degree of national profile building if you are pitching yourself essentially as a regional interest party. And a critique you hear from older parliamentarians and some parliamentary candidates elsewhere in the country is, well, hang on, how are people meant to know to vote for us if during an election campaign we don't have a distinctive national offer that will get us on the telly? Because it's you can't fight 80 by-election campaigns during a general election. We both know that's not how general elections work. And, you know, and he made lots of pledges. He talked about the NHS. He said you, you should be able to get a GP appointment more quickly, pointing out those difficult and rural areas. All good sort of on-the-doorstep stuff. But then he won't commit to going into government. So I mean, when I interviewed him, I asked, "Well, what's the what's the point of you're you're not you're, you're saying well, look, we've got all these policies, but I'm refusing to say that I would take a cabinet job in order to enact any of them." So it sort of goes to the heart of it. Basically, your pitch is none of the above, or not the Tories. Essentially, is his is his pitch in all those, you know, Tory Tory facing seats. Let's just um, take a listen then to uh, his peroration, uh, the winding up of his speech, the big message that Ed Davey wanted to land. So conference, we have our policies, we have our priorities, and very soon we will have our election too. I know you're ready, I've seen you, on the streets of Shropshire, on the doorsteps of Devon, I've seen your determination, your dedication, and it makes me so proud to be one of your number. And I firmly believe that together we are the strongest campaigning force in British politics. We have taken chunks out of the blue wall. We have made it start to crumble. Now let's smash it for good. The British people are desperate for hope. The British people are desperate for change. The British people are desperate for a fair deal. And we are the ones who can make it happen. So let's get to it. So, Patrick, is that a strategy which is going to work in the face of what's going to be uh, a really fierce, essentially, air war between Labour and the Conservatives nationally? Can they insert themselves into it? Well, look, every time Labour have won power or the Conservatives have lost power by a big margin, they have been helped by the Liberal Democrats. The collapse of their vote in 1951, tactical voting in 1997. But both of those times, right, they are sort of subsidiary to the Labour Party. So ultimately, I think, given the strategy Ed Davey is sketching out, it will all depend, the answer to that question, the air war, will all depend whether... CCHQ, Conservative Campaign Headquarters, can make voters in those seats in the South East and South West nervous about the prospect of a Keir Starmer government, in which case, as was the case in 2019, voting for the Liberal Democrats has a little bit of risk. So really, Ed Davey has made himself a prisoner of the Labour Party's reputation, I think, ultimately, is the gamble he's taken. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. We will, of course, be at the Conservative Party Conference in Manchester next week and the Labour Party Conference in Liverpool the week after. And we'll be bringing you coverage of the SNP Conference the week after that. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly's goodbye. <laughs>